Hello, everybody, and welcome to a fresh edition of the Rainbow Skyline podcast, a podcast about the Denver Nuggets from your friends at The Athletic. I'm your co-host, Nick Kosmider, joined by my other co-host, Kendra Andrews. We're coming to you uh, three games after the All-Star break. There is only 24 games to go in this season. The Denver Nuggets are 40-18. They have the best record after 58 games in their NBA, in their franchise's NBA history. Uh, Kendra, things are looking good, right? Things are looking pretty good. I they really after that first we can talk more in depth about it, but after that first bump against OKC, their first game back, they've seemed to hit a good stride these past two games. Yeah, so so we're, we're, that's kind of what we're going to get into uh, the, tonight or today. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the uh, the first three games back after the All Star break. Um, you know the, the the loss in Oklahoma City and, and then the two, the two victories that they've had uh, at home over the Timberwolves and. Um, and then also over the Pistons last night. So uh, we're going to get into that, kind of look, look at some of the storylines involved in, in what's happened out of the gate. Um, we're going to talk about playoffs because, you know, look, 24 games to go. We're, we're going to be at the at the doorstep of the postseason before we know it. So we're going to talk a little bit about about matchups and, and what we think is going to as a scary thing for the Nuggets. What's uh, something that they'd be more inclined to want to handle uh, in that first round. And, and then we'll preview a couple games, a couple of really good games that the Nuggets have coming up at the end of this week. So uh, a lot to get to, but but Kendra, as you mentioned, the Nuggets are two and one since the All-Star break. Um, and, you know, what, what you, you wrote about this today, and I thought in that Pistons game, you know, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray both played well. They were efficient. They, they you know, they had, they had nice games, but they scored 16 points apiece. And, you know, th- there hasn't been a lot of games where you say, oh, we could deal with that from them and, and still be still be good to go. But you get 29 points, a career high from Jeremy Grant. You get 13 points from Michael Porter Jr., uh, eight points from, from from Monte Morris and from, from Mason Plumley. So that that bench unit with a starter in it at all times now is, is sort of the edict that Michael Malone has created for himself. Um, that, I mean, that to me coming out of, the, out of the gate because it was really bad the first game Oklahoma City that bench was. Um, how, how do you, how do you see that bench going right now in terms of what they've done out of the break? Totally. Yeah. Against Oklahoma city, they gave up two huge runs. I think it was 10 and two and then another 14 and two run or something, you know, crazy like that yeah, in and the fourth quarter or in the uh, 14 fourth quarter. to two in the yeah. first and 10 to two in the third. Yeah. Yeah. And Malone's just like, he, he said so many times, I can't be playing my starters 38 minutes. And well, for in order for him to not have to play his starters for 38 minutes, the bench unit has to be productive and it has to be efficient. And by inserting that starter into the lineup, whether it's been Nicola or whether it's been Jamal or Will, those are the three that he's been leaving in with that secondary mm-hmm. unit. It seems to be really helping against... Uh, the Timberwolves, they played really well. Last night, They the bench totaled 60 points. They outscored the Pistons bench uh, 60 to, I think it was 36. And I mean, that's what you want to see from them, like you said, to give Nicola and Jamal a break where they don't have to be on. I mean, I think they'll take a 25-plus point from them, but you don't want to have to rely on that. You want to see that even scoring. And it was, I thought it was interesting because I was talking to Michael Porter about this after and I asked him, I said, do you like having that starter in the in the lineup with you guys? And he said, yeah, you know, I think for us young guys, it's really good to have someone who, who knows what he's doing, who knows the plays, who knows the court. But he really wants to get to a point where they don't need that, where that secondary unit can be their own leaders and they don't have to depend on a starter to give them that energy or be that hot body or whatever. And I think that that's a good aspiration to have. 
But I think in the meantime, I mean, the proof is in the pudding that having that starting player with them has been really helpful. Yeah, and that's probably like his his kind of competitive edge talking. <laughs> but the reality is, though, also, Kendra, is that like you don't really not many teams, especially this time of year, are just playing ten guys, you know, you know, somewhat even minutes. And I I think the idea for Malone coming out of the break was, a, it's going to be a lot easier for me to just sort of uh, get everybody minutes. Uh, get my starters gelling again out of the break after some guys had been dealing with injuries like Will Barton, Paul Millsap, uh, you know, Gary Harris has been in and out of the lineup at times, Jamal Murray missed time. So part of it was like, let's just keep these guys together in their shifts and, um, you know, go, go at that route. But then the other part of it is like, listen, I want to play five guys. Tory Craig is a guy that played great mm-hmm. for me while players were out. He has a lot of loyalty to Tory Craig and, and mm-hmm. you understand why he's done a lot of great things for this team. And so coming out of the all-star break, he didn't want to just say, hey, you're, you know, you're sitting down, Tori, and, and the, the rest of these guys are going to take it. Obviously, the last two games, that's what's happened, because right. I just think part of it is that when you have it's it's yes, the starting unit is, is probably their, you know, their five most talented guys, um, you know, with the exception maybe of Jeremy Grant being being in that mix as well. And, and mm-hmm. certainly the way that. Uh, Gary Harris has played of late, you know, that that's a question mark of who's your five best players right now. But, you know, again, it's not it's not that that gap is so huge between the first and second unit. It's more that you want to have somebody in there that's in a rhythm that that's going that is has played during during the time where these starters have have built a lead, which they've almost always done this year, by the way. And um, (laughs) so so it's just, I think, a matter of like continuing to have somebody with a hot hand. And then it, what it also does is it allows some of the guys, you know, like Michael Malone has mentioned this too, like it allows Jamal Murray, if he's the guy that stays in when Monte Morris comes in, now he gets to roam off the ball and, and play that way and, and get himself involved in the game in sort of a different way. And mm-hmm. that just makes things life a lot harder on defenses when you're saying, okay, this guy as a starter, I have to deal with him as a, you know, a constant two man pick and roll kind of guy you know, who's, who's knifing into his mid range shots or mid range spots and, and getting up shots that way. Well, now this, this bench unit comes in and, and now I have this guy who's running off the ball. He's taking screens, he's back cutting, and I have to deal with all of that too. So again, it's just a matter of, I think you have, you have the talented guys there. What stood out to me uh, about like the victory over the Pistons, for example, when you have Jeremy Grant, the fact that his career high came in, in a bench role, I, I thought was super encouraging because he, yeah. here's a guy as we we've talked about this on this podcast before, but he was playing very well as a starter when, when Paul Millsap missed all those games because of his knee injury, Jeremy Grant really got himself in a flow, played great as a starter, was a, a really nice fit alongside Nikola Jokic as most players are. And then, but early in the season, he was having a hard time getting going uh, off the bench. And it, it, again, they were playing a lot of, a lot of big guys in that lineup um, not as much, I guess, uh, creators. And so he was kind of having to, you know, kind of create more stuff on his own. And then that's not necessarily his game, but I thought, you know, it, so for him to, to be that efficient, uh, yeah, he, he, he scored a lot of points when he did share the floor with Jokic, when Jokic was the guy that was still on the floor and, and Grant came in for Millsap. Um, so he still got those unit, those minutes where he was still playing with the first unit and certainly was productive in those. But then he also, you know, when it was mostly reserves on the floor, um, just found a way to get to his spots, hit a couple threes, but, but more than that, just really cuts hard, was really active, moved in transition. So it's just so important. You know, we, we knew this coming out of the all-star break, he's got to be really good. And, and so does Michael Porter jr. And, and what, I mean, your, your thoughts, we know Porter played only 
less than two minutes in each of the first two games. Um, and talk a little bit about sort of why, you know, kind of why that was in those first two games, because everybody's thinking, oh, he's just he's been taken out of the rotation. But, you know, really, he, he, he admitted I, I didn't play the way I was supposed to be playing. Yeah, I mean, he said that last night. He said that Coach Malone pulled him aside after um, the first couple games back and said, he literally asked him, he said, are you hurt? Like, are you healthy? Are you feeling okay? And Porter just said, I'm fine. I just didn't put enough effort. I'm going to do better. And so, yeah, I don't think that at first I was a little confused of, okay, why isn't he in the rotation coming out of the break? Malone told us if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, Michael Porter would have a role in that playoff rotation. So, okay, then now that we're in that final stretch, why isn't he playing? And I do think it, you know, Malone is is the type of coach, I think, who he wants you to prove yourself. And if you're not, then, you know, he's going to wait until you do. And I think that that's what he saw from Michael Porter this past game. And he ended up, you know, getting some good running time and getting back in that rhythm. And so I don't think that fans should be concerned or, oh my gosh, he's out of the rotation. What is Malone doing? I think that he is easing him back into this after that break, after he missed some games with his ankle sprain. And because we saw this in the beginning of the season too, right? Where Michael Porter wasn't in a rhythm. And then as he started to hit his rhythm, he started playing more minutes and then he got really, really good. And I can see him on that same trajectory over these final 24 games as we head into the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's well put. You know, he, he it took him some time to to get to where he was. Like it was about the start of January, really, when he took off. And you know, you can wipe out October. He didn't he didn't play really in October at all. And so, and it wasn't in you know really until middle of November that he started playing some. And then end it wasn't until the end of December that he really you know started playing a little bit more. And then that January game happened at the beginning of the year when he when he goes off for twenty five points against Indiana, and, mm-hmm. and that's when kind of the you know, the, the governor kind of comes off and he, he's allowed to kind of hit it full bore. And, and you saw it over his last 15 games, he averaged almost 15 points a game while playing 23 minutes a night and it, and and shooting super efficiently from the field and from the three point line. So yeah, I, I think you're right. He, part of it was this guy misses seven games with an ankle injury. He's still, this is still the first time in, 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 in the NBA that he is dealing with you know, how do you how do you handle things when you get hurt? How do you rehab? How do you get back to, you know, being the guy that you that you were before you got hurt? Also, how do you just how do you learn to play through pain? I mean, again, this is something that a, a guy who um, hasn't hasn't had a lot of high level playing experience as great as he is. Um, this is all new. And so I, I think part of it was, yes, Malone has said, OK, this these are the minutes he's playing now. He's playing 20 minutes a night. That's what it's going to be going forward. But that doesn't mean that if if a guy is just not playing the way he's supposed to and 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 you're questioning the effort on a certain night, that doesn't mean you're just going to continue to kind of get these these minutes. Now, I do think he should be allowed to play through some stuff. Um, I, I think there's times where he becomes a little bit of a, um, you know, a target when when they do bad defensively overall during a certain stretch. It's easy to kind of highlight some of the mistakes that he makes. Um, but. I, I think he all, it's, it's a balance of, of being able to play through some of that stuff. But look, they're they're not going to be they're not going to reach their their ceiling for this season unless he's a part of what they're doing, because he can he can create this mismatches. He can be instant offense. He is a great rebounder. These are all things that we've talked about that we saw a lot through through the month of January. 
And and so they're going to just like, you know, Michael Malone has said time and time again, we need Gary Harris in order for us to be the team we we think we can be. We have to have Gary Harris playing like he can play. I would put Michael Porter Jr. into that mix as well. And you're not that's not to say you're putting all this pressure on him because he's, again, a rookie and this is going to be his first postseason experience. But his talent dictates that you, you need him on the floor. Yeah, I agree. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on here at The Athletic. The Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Right here in Denver, we have great writers covering the Rockies, the Avalanche, the Broncos, and of course, right here on the Nuggets. But we also have a treasure trove of great national writers. My personal favorite is Michael Lee. Uh, covers the national NBA scene for us, has been doing it uh, for decades and just really gets to the soul of the game. You know, stuff you can't see by checking out a box score. This recent piece that he wrote about the Basketball Africa League and how it's working to really uh, make a make a renaissance of the game on that continent. Uh, it was just was just spectacular. So go, go check that out. He, he, he's fantastic. Simply put, we have the best sports newsroom on the planet, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself by signing up for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash rainbow skyline to save 40% off an annual subscription. That works out to $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash rainbow skyline to save 40%. Go check it out now. All right, Kendra, let's let's spin it forward because again, 24 games left until the postseason. We know the Nuggets are going to be in the playoffs. And, you know, you look at the standings right now, they're they're five games back of the Lakers uh, as the second team. I from where I'm standing right now, I don't see anybody catching the Lakers. I think the Lakers are going to be the number one seed going into the postseason. Um, you know, things can happen. Injuries could happen. Um, you know, maybe somebody goes on a tear, but I, I just don't see that happening. So, I, you know, as you look at these standings right now, the Nuggets have a, a one and a half game lead on the Clippers for the three spot. This is, you know, as of Wednesday night, um, they're two and a half games above the Rockets, three, three and a half above the Jazz who are in the fifth spot four games ahead of the Thunder who are in the sixth spot and then five games ahead of the Mavericks who are in the seventh spot. And then the, the eight, the guys competing for the eighth seed are way back. So you're talking, as I look at this, probably somewhere between the second and sixth, sixth seed. I still think they will be in that two, three or four spot most likely. But if, if, if those are what we're saying, if, if you're saying two, two to six, um, what what matchup do you think? Let's let's start with the scary part first of, of those first round matchups as you kind of look down that that bottom half of the Western Conference field or, or even around the four or five line. Who do you who do you think would really give the Nuggets problems that, that they'd probably be concerned about the most going into a first round series? Well, first off, I think it's like pretty crazy how tight the race is and how, like you just said, they could either be a two seed or they could drop all the way to a six seed that probably won't happen, but it, you know, it yeah. could, that's pretty crazy that that's how tight it is. I think looking at it there for me, when I was looking at this, it's, it's a lot of like players and who would have, which one of these players have the nuggets this season kind of struggle to kind of contain and what has that led to? And okay. And seven series, would they be able to figure that out? And so I've kind of gone full circle with a lot of these of, of how I feel about them. I think two of the matchups that I've kind of been hung up on of wondering whether I think they're more scary or not scary is Mavericks and OKC, because 
when you look at that game that the Nuggets just played against the Clippers, or not, sorry, the Clippers, wow, the Thunder, they had no answer for Chris Paul. And I wonder if they have that matchup guy for Chris Paul. And that is something that would I think could be a little bit scary for the Nuggets. The other one I mentioned was the Mavericks, because I really do think that Luka Doncic could just be super lethal and get real, you know, really, really hot in the playoffs. And so I kind of have been going back and forth of who would they rather, Chris Paul or Luka Doncic. Yeah, I, I, and I think that that's a it's kind of a good look ahead because those I bet you those are probably the two most like because to play the the Thunder or the Mavericks as it stands now the Nuggets would either be the second or the third seed and that's probably where they're going to end up they're probably going to end up in one of those two seeds so I think that when you look at you know Thunder Mavericks um, those are two teams that very well could be in that six, seven slot. And, and you could throw Utah the way that Utah Mm -hmm. has been really slumping and sliding to, you know, to the point that they're making major lineup changes. They're, they're falling back to the the bottom half of the Western conference pack too. So that that's another team that you can throw in. So as I look at this, I'm kind of looking at the rockets, the jazz, the thunder and the Mm -hmm. Mavericks as teams that they could face in the first round. Like those are the four that I would give the most right. likelihood to. Yeah. Um, but I'll start with your thing of the Thunder and Mavericks because within those four, those are probably the two even more likely in my mind. And I'm, I am more scared by the Thunder and mm-hmm. and part of it is Chris Paul. Like you mentioned, um, he, he is a, he's a guy who uh, has been there a million times. He He's just a, a dogged, a dogged competitor. Um, he, he brings it every single night and he's going to be, uh, you know, he's a chip on his shoulder kind of guy, as cliche as that sounds. But this year in particular, I think, um, it was kind of cast off. And and when, when he got traded from from Houston and went to Oklahoma City and, and everybody kind of said that they're not going to be a part of this playoff mix, they're playing with this confidence right now that, that is being spearheaded by Chris Paul. And that's a dangerous thing when you talk about getting into the playoffs with this kind of momentum, with this veteran leader who just has this insane edge to him. That would be a lot to deal with. Now, on the flip side of that, there's there's other parts of this that I, I think really would favor the Nuggets, and that's that they have no matchup for Nikola Jokic. He, he's mm-hmm. dominated Steven Adams. There's nothing that they can throw at him um, that, that I think can slow him down. Uh, so so that part of it to me, and when I when I look at it, is who who can who is Denver's best player um, most likely to succeed against? And that that's where I like that matchup. The reason Dallas is to me also kind of a a little bit more favorable than say the Thunder is is the experience factor. Uh, it'll be Luka Doncic playing for the first time in the playoffs. That Dwight Powell injury for Dallas, I, I think he was a guy that didn't give Nikola Jokic fits by any means, but he was a different sort of look that they could give him a little more athleticism um, could cause some problems in that spread pick and roll. And, you know, without him, obviously they've, they've, tr- they've done some other things. Willie Collie Stein and um, plug some bodies in at other places that have sort of moved their lineup around. But I, I just don't, I just don't like their matchup for, for Nikola Jokic either. And, and I also think that um, Jeremy Grant would do really well in, in that series as we've seen him play against Dallas this year. Um, the one thing that I just, that in my mind that, that the Nuggets really want to avoid is, is somehow dropping to a four or five line where they, where they get the Rockets. Um, you know, so say the Rockets are, or are in fourth and and the Nuggets are in fifth or, or vice versa. Um, 
that is the matchup that that scares me in terms of a like you get that and, and you might really be looking at a first round exit just because you know it, it's just a, a matchup that has historically given the Nuggets a lot of problems and I know they went two and two this year um, you know couple couple games in that series I, one of those teams was missing players. Uh, important players so we don't have a full full read on it and certainly Denver has not played Houston since they've just gone um you know all the way to the wall with this small ball revolution um to where PJ Tucker's playing their center and that would certainly be fascinating to watch because they would have nothing for Nikola Jokic uh, yeah. on the offensive end but then here's here's Jokic having to play all the way out because they play five out and he's got to be on the perimeter and all that kind of stuff so that that's kind of what that's kind of what I would see as as sort of their their most dangerous matchup. You look at some of these other ones. I mean, Utah is is a team again. We we mentioned that they're not playing well, but I also just think that the the, the Rudy Gobert matchup doesn't bother Nicola as much as it used to. And no, I think uh, we've seen that this season too. Yeah, yeah, and and I think part of that was they what they used to be able to do is they threw Derek Favors at him as well, or Jay Crowder. These two kind of physical front court guys that were kind of a companion piece if you will to, to Rudy Gobert and, and they sort of use that muscle and that that toughness to kind of add to what Gobert does um but but I just I just think they like that matchup a lot better and then the other part of that is that Tory Craig has done such a great job defending Donovan Mitchell to where mm-hmm. you, I think you would feel really good about that that matchup in the playoffs so that that's kind of where that's kind of where I I, I sit on it um you know, and again, those are probably Rockets, Jazz, Thunder, Ma- Mavericks. Th- those are those are probably the the most dangerous. Um, and and so that that gets you if if you if you get by that, that gets you to a second round. As we sit here now, you know, there there was some talk earlier of like, hey, maybe they maybe it'll shake out to where the the Clippers are the four seed, and um, you know they play the Lakers in the second round, and so you don't, you're not going to face you're not going to face the Lakers the, the, one of the LA teams until the Western Conference Finals. I don't think it's going to play out that way. I think most likely you're going to probably have to play one of the LA team, probably the Clippers, or or you know or the you're going to probably have to play one of them in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, which of those two teams do you think, as we kind of just play this out, right. um, which of those two teams at this point? Obviously, Denver's only played the Clippers once. They didn't have Paul George. They're getting ready to play the Clippers again on Friday, which we'll get into here in just a second. Um, they've played the Lakers three times, uh, one and two, their only win without LeBron. What is your kind of idea of that? Right. Well, it's 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 kind of hard to fully assess the Clippers because we haven't seen them play against them when they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, like you said. Um but I did some math, which I'm very proud of myself right. for doing yes. some math. Thanks for doing that. It for was me really hard. I, I did not yeah. do any math. Pulled out some, pulled out my handy dandy Abacus. calculator, <laughs> and um, I think it's right. So, uh, lots of counting. But so Kawhi and, and and Paul George have played 25 games together, and and when and through those 25 games, they're 18 and seven. And when they don't have Kawhi, Paul George is six and four. When they don't have Paul George, Kawhi is 14 and 5. And then without both of them, they're 0 and 3, which combines to 20 and 12 when they're with one without one or the other or both of them. So that was the math I did. And so sounds, based off sounds of, right to me. <laughs> cool. Yes. <laughs> My math teacher would be very proud of me. Uh, based off that, I mean, I think 
they're obviously better with both of them, but I think I think as long as they have Kawhi Leonard, they pose a really big threat. I think that similar. I, I view the matchups between the Lakers and the Clippers similarly, which I think is that the Nuggets are probably pretty well equipped to handle one of the two for the Clippers wings that they have and for the Lakers, the bigs that they have. Because when LeBron wasn't playing, yeah, they handled the length that they had pretty well. But then when LeBron has played and they have to handle LeBron, Anthony Davis, I mean, they have so many big guys on that team, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, that the Nuggets kind of run out of length eventually, especially with their premier defender guys. And so I think that that's a struggle. And then when you think about, okay, well, if you're playing the Clippers, who are you going to match up against Kawhi and Paul George? Because when you have to defend both of them, well, you can't always double because you don't want to leave, you know, one or the other. You don't want to leave anyone. But so I've kind of gone back and forth and that's why it's hard for me. So I say, I say right now the Lakers would be a little bit more scary just from what we've seen, but I'd really love, they play on Friday and I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'd really love to see the Nuggets play the uh, the Clippers with both Kawhi and Paul George to kind of get a feel of what that would look like. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think as it stands now, it, that's supposed to be what happens. Of course, um, that could change between between now and Friday night uh, at the Staples Center. And, you know, you're right. I, that That's what we need to see. It's funny because you keep, you, you bring this up and and you say, okay, who, how are they going to guard these, these guys and how are they going to throw these bodies at these two premier wing players? And you say, well, obviously, Gary Harris is a guy who, um, both of those would be tough matchups for him, but he's a guy that you would feel comfortable at the very least making it making it difficult for those guys or, or being in the right place, play, you know, applying the right help, doing all the kind of things where even though he might have some physical size limitations being only six foot four, um, he's going to be in the right spots. And then the other part of it is you, you mentioned Torrey Craig and, you know, but he's he's a guy that's it's not even playing right now. And I really do wonder um, you know, as this goes along, if, if we'll end up seeing him in the playoffs, because again, right. he's a guy that started 11 games during their playoff run last year, helped flip the San Antonio Spurs series, uh, when he went in and, and, and guarded DeMar DeRozan and Derek White. So that's going to be interesting. Although his strength is not guarding these big, um, kind of wing players. He, he's a guy that can really swallow up smaller guards. Like he, he does a great job on Devin Booker. He does a great job on Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, he's, he's done a, he's done as good a job as anyone can do on James Harden. So those, those are kind of more of his bread, bread and butter than say these really long six foot six, six foot seven, um, wing players. Um, so, you know, you could really just be talking about Will Barton having to step up and take that challenge. Who's had a couple games where he, he guarded Paul George really well when, when, and George was in Oklahoma city. Um, but I, I ultimately come back to where you're at with, with the, the length and, the same thing where I was saying I, I like the Thunder matchup because Nikola Jokic could really thrive in that. It, it's the same reason the Lakers are, the, I think, the if you had to just rank the, the Western Conference playoff teams in terms of who you would want to see, regardless of the seeding, like who you'd want to see versus who you don't at, at any point in the playoffs, uh, the Lakers are the team that, that they don't want to face. And then obviously <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that's easy to say. They're the, they're the best team in the conference. They're one of the best teams in the league. But it's it's specifically because 
they're going to make life a lot harder on Nikola Jokic than any other team in the Western Conference can. And mm-hmm. and it's the length, yes, um, but it's also just the fact that they, you know, they they have LeBron, and when he is engaged in that kind of playoff mode, I'm going to do everything it takes, and he puts himself into that defensive mindset of of trying to be one of the best defenders uh, in the league. That's when he's so dangerous. I mean, you saw it in the the game right before the All Star break. In those last couple minutes when the Nuggets did not score, it was LeBron who was switching on to Nikola Jokic um, at the end of the game and, and really doing a, a really nice job, um, just kind of irritating him and, and making making him think uh, about what he was doing, which, as we know, Nikola Jokic is best when he just um, doesn't do that, when he just kind of plays and, and lets it go. And so that, again, that, that's why that's why that matchup that's why that matchup scares me. Um, but again, they, the Nuggets are in a place where this, they're going to have to get they're going to have to get to that second round. Um, the, the way the Thunder are playing right now, the, they're a team that you're not going to feel like you're going to go into that series and just be able to, to wipe wipe the floor with anyone. Um, you know, they, they certainly we saw it last year. They were the number two seed in the West, and it took them seven games to dispatch the Spurs. Obviously, the Denver Nuggets have a lot more experience now, and I think that's gonna that's gonna help them. But there's just there's just no easy road. Um, to this thing, so it, it's going to be it's going to be good. But I think I think that's a good uh, a good breakdown in terms of what what could be coming down the road, what different teams provide different challenges, um, and all that. Let's spin ahead now as we kind of just end this here uh, of of what what's coming up for the Nuggets now. They they've got the Clippers on Friday night, and then the the, the Raptors. They're hosting the Raptors on Sunday afternoon. Um, so a couple of really good games against really, really good teams. This starts a, a stretch for these final games for the Nuggets where they, they have a really tough road. March is almost exclusively on the road. But in these two games against obviously uh, championship level or, you know, top contending level teams, what, what are you what are you curious to see um, over the weekend? I'm curious. We we. You very, very, very briefly mentioned Gary Harris and his his, off, his performances right now. Uh, I'm interested to see how he does over this weekend. It seems like these past two games against the Timberwolves and Detroit, he looked more like himself, not 100% back to you know the Gary Harris he was a couple you know last season or a couple seasons ago. But he seems to be making a positive progression from the shooting slump that he was in. So I'm interested to see if that will continue for him. Um, I think that's one of the, you know, I mean, I was just writing on that. So it's kind of on my mind right now. (laughs) So, but that's one thing I'm going to be looking out for. Yeah, no. And you're absolutely right. He's, um, you know, he's starting to hit the three a little bit, still not taking a ton of them. Uh, But, but I think with him that what's, what's been interesting about this is that there's been, um, you know, you talk to every teammate and, and it's it's just really positive in terms of the, the faith that they have in him. I mean, he's a guy that's that's really well, well respected, well appreciated. Um, and, and I think that he has that sort of support in that locker room. And I think that's going to ultimately ultimately help him that there's still just not quite that same burst that he's had in, mm-hmm. in past years. I really think that he's kind of um, really just trying to kind of grit himself through it and, and figure out a way to to contribute in every way he can. The, the most important thing about Gary Harris is that he continues to play defense the way he has. I mean, it, the way that he blows up dribble handoffs, I mean, we saw it against the Pistons. He blows up the dribble handoff, steals the ball, and then just absolutely posterizes um, 
Svi, I'm not even going to try to say his last name. <laughs> um, like th- that's the kind of stuff that he has still brought. And that that's why he continues to play. And while, while fans get frustrated because they, they look at the missed shots, mm-hmm. the guy has remained very impactful and, and he doesn't make mistakes that hurt you. Like you can live with missed shots, right? Because it's, it's within the flow of your offense. It's what you're doing. I mean, you live with missed shots, what you can't live with is, is guys who, because they're not shooting well, they, they check out of other areas of the game. And, and Harris, to his credit, has not done that. So I agree. I'm, you know, let's see if he can get, you know, kind of closer to all the way back in terms of that constant uh, offensive production. Um, what I'm curious to see is if, is if Denver can stop turning the ball over. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is a thing that has plagued them uh, a lot since, since they started uh, the, the uh, second half, since the all-star break that it, it Killed them against the Thunder. They gave up 27 points off turnovers uh, in their win against the Timberwolves, and and then they you know they turned the ball over a lot again against the against the Pistons. And obviously they were able to win two of those games because they're playing very poor you know the poor teams. The 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 Clippers and the Raptors are teams that are going to make you pay for that. I mean the Raptors right now over the last five games have the best defense in basketball, uh, giving up less than less than 100 points per 100 possessions, and so. Um, that is going to be to me a real test, and it's it's interesting that it's happened this way. I don't I don't know if it's um, you know guys just sh- continuing to shake rust off, but going through the year, Denver has taken care of the ball really well, uh, going even all the way back to last year. So you know you hope if you're a Nuggets fan that this is kind of just a little bit of a blip uh, that that they're going to kind of get that taken care of, but it, it it's prevented them from being able to kind of run away in some of these games, and it's not something that they're going to be able to survive against two really good defensive teams if they if they turn the ball over. Uh, on the road against the Clippers, then even at home against the Raptors, uh, they're going to have some real issues. Uh, Kendra, anything else before we wrap it up? Anything on your mind? Any any thoughts that you just got to get out? <laughs> any takes? Any takes oh you want to throw gosh, out there? Oh my gosh, the pressure! Now, if I say no, I'm just going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> Not really, I guess. Not really. I think we got just that. Just means we covered it all. So I guess uh, again, so. <laughs> keep keep it locked in here to our feed. We we appreciate you guys all for listening. Tell a friend, tell a family member, keep it right here to the Rainbow Skyline podcast. Until next time, thanks for stopping by.